This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at Zen Mountain Monastery. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of the Zen Center of New York City. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. This morning, as you may have heard, we're having Dharma Encounter in place of the usual Dharma discourse. And Dharma Encounter is uh, an encounter between uh, a teacher and a student, uh, the purpose of which is to help the student uh, see into their true nature, to open their heart, open their mind, heart-mind, and to realize that as their life. It's similar to Doksan or Daisan, um, perhaps not quite as directly pointing, but it can be, uh, sometimes a bit more discursive. And the, the topic is, is one that I'll present shortly, and um, the encounter will go until it reaches a, a concluding point in that time and space. There's a long historical uh, route to Dharma encounter, going back to the time of the Buddha, where uh, during the rainy season, um, the, the monastics and the teacher and seniors would gather and have these encounters. And so this has continued uh, in most or all Buddhist traditions up to the present time, um, each school of Buddhism having its own unique flavor. And in ours, um, nobody knows what I'm going to say, what I'm going to present, and I don't know with the folks who are going to come up what they're going to say. So it's unrehearsed. It's uh, alive, um, hopefully intimate, and it offers us a teaching to be able to see uh, this uh, alive and in action. Because ordinarily in face-to-face teaching in Daisan and Doksan, it's confidential, it's in a closed room, and it's not spoken of. The Dharma encounter, um, Dharma encounters that we hold, we hold at the end of each session, each week-long meditation intensive during Ango, uh, which is a three-month uh, intensive training program. And um, at the end of each session, as we are now, we hold it. And the, one of the purposes is also to encourage and support the training of the um, head seminarian, the chief disciple, um, who is Yosha, who, where are you? <laughs> there. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> you moved. <laughs> uh, so she's leading Nyango and acting as a model of practice for us and um, also receiving and offering training. And so next month she'll be doing this. Um, and you're not nervous a bit. Um, so, um, the topic I want to talk about is what we've been studying during the Sangha. And we've been studying the Four Noble Truths, uh, the truth of suffering, its cause, the possibility of freedom from it, and the path leading to the extinction of suffering. When the Buddha said, life is dukkha, suffering usually translated, although it's it's, uh, more subtle than that, he was pointing directly at our mind, our mind, each of our minds. And we all live with our minds, and we all live with dukkha. And it comes along with human consciousness. Our ordinary human consciousness is discriminatory. It separates. And it creates in that separation distance from a life, from other things. And so it's inherently discriminatory. And in that sense, dukkha is not something wrong that needs to be fixed. Um, It's an Another name for our consciousness, in effect. And it's an inevitability of being alive, being a human being. And so we all encounter it. And we have the capacity 
every moment to turn any experience to suffering, to attachment, to creating pain and harm subtly or overtly. And it's just not in the things that are obvious, sickness, old age, and death, that there's not a lot we can do about directly and something that we all face. But also in the more subtle ways that we, with our mind, create you know, our own personal system of reality, which we foster and we build upon, and which uh, inevitably, because it is not directly encountering, seeing, and living out of reality, creates an inherent anxiety as we try and preserve it and keep it safe from reality. And so there's this ongoing quiet anxiousness that is ever-present, which we can distract ourselves from in all the ways that we know how that we customize to distract ourselves from. And yet, at the same time, how we experience each moment of our consciousness also offers the possibility of seeing into and finding the freedom from suffering. That's the third noble truth. So the Buddha obviously spoke to that. Our actions arise from mental factors. They don't come from no place. All unwholesome actions come from unwholesome roots. And while it's variously defined, greed, um, aversion or hatred or passion in the most negative sense, and delusion, ignorance. Greed is selfish desire aimed at personal gratification. It's expressed as grasping, craving, attachment. We all know this. Hatred or passion is ill will, hatred, resentment, anger, negative judgments. And much more subtly, the passionate energy that comes out of these things in the service of our self-centeredness. And that's subtle, but very pervasive. Delusion is ignorance. It's mental, a lack of clarity and confusion. Not knowing the Dharma, not encountering the Dharma, not practicing the Dharma of no self, of emptiness, of impermanence, of interbeing, not realizing the four noble truths as our own body and mind, this fosters delusion. We also find the roots in in the wholesome side, non-greed, non-aversion, and non-delusion. So, the gap between reality and the basic, our basic human approach to life is dukkha. That's the space. And it's self-created. It's not inherently present. We have to work hard to create it. And that's an experience, as I just mentioned, of a basic anxiety of frustration embedded in our life. Our usual experience of life is suffering, and we create it. And we don't have to create it. (laughs) So the question is, how do we transform these three poisons I spoke of into the three wisdoms? How do we transform greed into compassion, into greediness for all beings? We say, sentient beings are numberless. I vow to save them. How do we transform ignorance into enlightenment? The Buddha way is unattainable. I vow to attain it. We're staking ourselves on that when we say that. How do we turn anger 
and all of the associated much more subtle projections that we create of our passionate, deluded self into wisdom. The dharmas are boundless. I vow to master them. Now, transformation is only apparent. Fundamentally, the whole basis of this practice is that from the beginning, we're all Buddhas. We're all whole. We all have everything we need. So our practice is simple. To reveal what has fundamentally always been present. And this is a a pretty crucial understanding, uh, intellectual and experiential, hopefully, of our practice. So it's... This is not about patching things up so we can go on to harvest more dukkha. And that's a very attractive uh, goal. They can just avoid this pain. I'll worry about the next pain later. It's about actually seeing into the delusionary nature of our suffering. And in that seeing, offering our understanding to all beings as we live our life without leaving out ourselves, It uh, brings to mind what Michelangelo said when he was asked how he created David. And if you've ever studied that statue, it's, it's equivalent to the Mona Lisa, at least in my mind. Um, and he said, I'm, I just cut away whatever was not David. Of course, you have to have the vision and talent of Michelangelo And ultimately, we're not cutting away anything, but seeing directly into what has always been present. And you, too, have the vision and talent to see and know for yourself what is present, what is fundamentally present, who you yourself are. You, too, have the insight and vision to know for yourself when you do something that is not helpful to that, or when you do something that is helpful, or think something, or say something. How can you do this? Buddhism offers many ways, many practices that lead to freedom, can lead to freedom from suffering. And we know them, some of them, the Eightfold Noble Path, the Eight Gates of Zen, Zazen in particular, the Paramitas, the Four Measurables, and on and on. Many other practices that lead to a deepening of our wisdom and compassion, if taken up in a dedicated manner. And all of these ways are doorways to to experiencing our true nature which fundamentally is indescribable, unknowable, unborn and undying, beyond concepts and ideas, existing thus. And none of the words that I just said are casual words. They are exactly as it is, exactly as we are. are. And yet, It can be realized, even if we can't grasp it as a thing. It can address suffering, as the Buddha taught. So what I wish to explore with you today, since all of us share suffering as part of our life, how do we, in our individual way, take whatever we define or understand as suffering, our suffering, personal suffering, and then turn it towards the freedom from suffering. Turn it towards the Dharma, turn it towards the three treasures. How do you actually do this? And in doing this, how does this lead to realization of your fundamental nature? That's what I'm interested in. That's what makes this practice real. So that wisdom and compassion 
can arise out of our own practice. And by real, I mean function, be alive, move as we move, cry as we cry, laugh as we laugh. Encounter suffering in ourselves and others and enter right there. We have many ways to avoid suffering. And each of us are experts in that area of avoiding our own suffering. But when the karma bell rings, there's no more avoidance. The bell, the bill is due, and we'll experience the fruit of our actions, of our thoughts, of our speech. So the question I'd like to explore, again, is how can we turn a suffering towards the Dharma, towards the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, when nothing else is working? How do you turn towards realization when we are caught by our own greediness and our self-centered passions or our ignorance? So I just want to say a few words about getting online, (laughs) because it's a pet peeve of mine. (laughs) I would love if people who have never gotten online before get online. In a way, we're dealing with that topic (laughs) today. Um, Or if those who sit in the back row and have some physical disability, or just old and decrepit like me, uh, and have no shot at getting online, can get online if they wish. And then, if everyone else can fill in the gaps, so to speak, so that hopefully we give people an opportunity who don't always have that opportunity to get online. And at the same time, uh, hopefully we'll have a good mix of experienced and new people. So the line is open. And Yosha will start. Yosha will do three bows, and everyone else will do one. And the last person will do three. Shosanshi. Suffering. I first have to notice that I'm caught in something. And um, often that takes the form of thoughts that are very repetitive and keep coming back in different variations, but basically the same thoughts. Um, Sometimes I can just feel it in my body. Something's wrong. Um, So noticing that I'm caught, um, I need to look at that and look at what's going on. Um, there's something that I've done that has caused disharmony and friction with another human being, then I will be feeling it and I will start this cycle. And I need to take responsibility for whatever I've done. And if it's not something I've done, but I'm still caught Um, I need to make sure I don't act out of any of that lack of clarity Um, and sit with it look at it feel it try to see into it does that help you? yes and are you uh, able to, to do this on a regular basis? This is my practice. Mm-hmm. All I can say is keep going. May your life go well. Shosanji. So this is my suffering coming up here. Mm-hmm. Um, Welcome. 
Yeah? Um, it was... Uh, it was an offer I couldn't refuse, um, and I fit both of the categories. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I'm tired of my story that I live with, um, and it, uh, it organizes my life, this story, and so um, part of my confronting my suffering is to try to uh, be with what is and uh, not live the story and keep repeating it and repeating it. And um, so I try to challenge it. And that's what I'm doing right now. Good. So. Um, are you suffering now, right now, this moment? You know, so at this moment, I am not. <laughs> because I got over the hump, you know, mm -hmm. and I crossed mm -hmm. to, to do mm -hmm. this. But, um, you know, I've been thinking about this ever since I walked into the Zendo. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of what brought me to practice because the first time I came into the Zendo, there was Dharma Encounter. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, these people are like me. You know, I, mm -hmm. could, I could do this. And so it was uh, an invitation to, you know, because this was always such a, like, oh, a Zen, you know, like I can't come in here. And, um, and then to hear people sharing. So this is my offering to other people. Um, well, thank you for your offering. Yeah. But it's important to see what happened. Okay. So you had your fears. Yes. They fed perfectly right into your story. Yes. And what did you do in this case? I confronted it. I, I, cha I, I went through it. But what does that mean? That means that um, I try to put that aside and say, I can do this. I could, yeah. That's. So suppose you weren't, when you say put it aside, you mean the thought of it? The story. Of the story. So those are thoughts. Right. Feelings, thoughts. Mm -hmm. So suppose you couldn't put it aside. Could you still come up? Well, yeah, because I still was, like, tremendously anxious coming mm -hmm. up. And so I didn't put it aside, but I was aware of it. I mm -hmm. could see it, but I didn't put it. I guess I didn't put it aside. And that's important to see, that you had the freedom and can have the freedom mm -hmm. to feel a certain way, to feel locked into your story, to your anxiety. Yes. And yet, something else was more important in that moment. What was it? My liberation. May your life go well. Thank you for your teaching. Shosanshi. I create suffering in a desire for companionship, a desire to be desired, to be wanted. And that feels like such a basic, fundamental human desire, like we need food, we need people, touch. I don't know how to transform that kind of fundamental desire. Hmm. Well, I think I th it's a human desire. What's wrong with having it? What's the problem? I mean, probably almost everyone in this room wants the same thing, if not everyone, in one degree or one way or another. We don't all find it in our life. And so when we don't find that in the specific way that you or I may think of that, we look for it in another way. But it's just, you know, it's very few human beings can live in a mountaintop totally alone for their lifetime. It's kind of a little crazy. And probably its own subtle form of suffering, although I wouldn't know personally. Believe me, I've wanted that and realized that like, for me to acknowledge that that is not right for me. 
Okay, but let's get back to what's the problem with wanting relationship? Let, let me skip a little bit, yeah. because in and of itself, that's not a problem. Even though desire creates suffering and... Even though what? Desire creates suffering. Well, not right. all... I mean, you know, when I mentioned desire, I also mentioned the vow. Does that create suffering? I mean, it could, but the intent is not to. So what's going on there? Desire in and of itself does not create suffering. Something additional has to be present with that. Any ideas? Attachment to outcomes. Okay. So what's attachment about? I want this to be a certain way. Okay, that doesn't feel like desired. What does it feel like? Greed. It feels like anger to me. Just telling you what it feels like to me. It felt like it to me too. Yeah. So what's anger about? You just said it. You just said it. I want it to be a certain way. And it's not that way. And, and by the way, although we may speak of the three poisons as three individual things and three individual vows to, quote, address them, they're not. They're not. There's a commonality there. And you're dealing with that right now. So what's the commonality? Yeah, but in a way that's cheating. We all know that. Everyone in this room knows the problem is me in creating our suffering, (laughs) which both is a problem. The idea of me, the idea of myself. Okay. And can also be the freedom from the problem, which is the point. So when you say the idea is me, can you say more about that? Can you go further? The stories that I carry, that I tell Mm -hmm. myself about Mm -hmm. what I need, the way I need things to be, what I need to feel safe. Yeah, that's a big one, what I need to feel safe. So we, we, this is our life. We set up our life so that I'm safe and protected. And as Dido Roshi always used to say, you know, here I am doing my best to be safe behind this wall and nobody can get in and I can't get out. And there you are. And that becomes our life. So the next question is, what's your awareness of the pattern when it happens? I mean, it's not that difficult to analyze a disastrous relationship or exchange post facto, right? We're we're pretty expert at that, actually. I don't know if it's accurate or not. Maybe more story, uh, just judging by my own personal experience. Uh, But... What's going on in the moment? In the moment of creating suffering. Yeah, but what's your awareness of it in that moment? How would you know you're creating suffering? I can see it in the other person. That's a terrific answer. That is a terrific answer. But of course, to see it in the other person, there has to be a prerequisite, right? What's the prerequisite? You have to be paying attention. Paying attention usually wears our attention. Turned inward. Yeah. And then we can't see. We're blind, right? We're blind to, you know, the wall I just walked into. And we are puzzled when, you know, we, we never saw the wall. We walked away, and the other person all of a sudden exhibits signs of psychosis. Un, un, uh, psychosis without a, a cause. Not realizing we're the cause. Well, we've certainly contributed to it. So how do you recognize it? In that moment, any ideas? You've said one. Attend. See the other person. You have to have some sense of the other person, not just kind of vaguely seeing them. You almost have to study them. But what else? I can can feel it in my body. Right. There's an energy to it. And an energy that we don't 
naturally in and of ourself want to relate to because it is completely ours. We've carefully constructed it to be ours. And so it's the water we swim in, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 We've experienced this. So our job here is to practice, train ourselves to be very, very sensitive to that energy. Really sensitive. So that the first inkling of it, we have an option. We can still go in that direction. Depends. That's our karma. That's our call. But do we understand the potential or that we are causing harm or will cause harm? May your life go well. Thank you for your teaching. So, Shanxi. So, when um, when you talk about... um, I, I guess when I think about how I address suffering. Um, sometimes I feel like the best, or my suffering really, is the best I can do is just see it. Um, and that, in a sense, um, given that I have to do things in my life, um, the best I can do is not do anything. Um, you know, everything I think that has been good in my life um, isn't because, like, I willed it to be that way, in a sense. I'm not sure what you mean by that. Um, it's... Um, Like I, I have an, an, you know, kind of like lot, maybe a, a larger intention, but there isn't like a, you know, I, I, I want things to be like a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I guess a question for you is, you know, you mentioned all these, these practices um, that were offered, like the, the paramitas and know what equal path and um, I feel like often when I actually try to pick up one of those practices and actually do something with it um, it's I it, it feels like a trap sometimes yeah can be can feel like that and you can feel distant from it um, a couple of things that are implicit in what you're saying that I think are important to bring out um, First, the foundation of this practice is a deep trust. A deep trust in the practice, in yourself, and in your willingness to practice no matter what you feel and no matter what the circumstances are. And yet respecting what you feel. And that's important. So, you know, I'm an old man. And I have my attachments. And, you know, there are certain things in my life story that I've concluded probably I'm not going to address to my satisfaction in this lifetime. And that's just the way it seems to be. Um, And it's not that I don't want to, but I struggle with those things. Um, And I acknowledge them, and I allow for them, and I work with them. So that, I think is also true in the beginning of practice or earlier stages of practice. When the most we can do is, as you said, acknowledge the, the things that I do or say or think create suffering. And that actually is a terrific start. It's, it's the most important thing. I mean, most of us go through life totally deaf, dumb, and blind to our own mind. And so we start where we are. It's, it's actually... There's a secret to practice. You know, practice from where you are. <laughs> you know? and, and to do that without self-hatred or self-judgment. And I've really struggled with that a lot. To um, Not to be free of self-judgment, because I need to have some insight and judgment into my behavior, my thoughts, and my deeds. Um, but not to poison myself. 
to use that judgment in the name of waking up rather than the name of putting myself down or pushing myself up. And so we can do that. We can understand that at this moment, at this time, this is the best I can do. And, and that's in one hand enough, in the other hand it's not enough. And to hold both of those truths present. Now, you know, I have a pet saying, um, a, a self-saying to myself in that specific set of circumstances when I say to myself, that's the best I can do. And it's a checking question. And the question is, you know what the question is? Am I doing my best? Right. Is it really the best I can do? So it, it's an attempt to try and stop me from sliding out to the side. Oh, that's the best I can do. Screw it. You know. Um, is it really my best? And I'm more interested in asking the question than coming up with the answer. I'm more interested in keeping it open. And then things come along. And usually what comes along in regard to those specific things that I'm trying to deal with is more suffering. And boy, at a certain point in practice, is that an inspiring aspect to my practice. In fact, it's the whole aspiration and inspiring of my practice is when I'm creating suffering in you, I don't want to do that. It hurts too much. It's selfish. It just hurts too much. And so what a wonderful way to practice. May your life go well. Sanji, I'm deeply invested in my greed, anger, and delusion. Um, my only way out of it that I know of, um, which I don't do, I can do better, I'm still exploring what it is to do that, but it's to take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Particularly the, the Sangha, as I think you've been saying, that I wanted to bring up this I can rationalize, justify my own internal suffering that I'm familiar with, that's my identity, but when I see the harm I'm creating to the Sangha, um, something's got to change. Yeah. So what does take refuge mean to you? To ask for help, to surrender, to... And how do you do that? Please help me. Please teach me. So you received plenty of teachings in these areas. Has it helped? Yes. So understand, so I'm speaking to you, but I'm speaking to myself. Understand that this practice of addressing suffering is a journey. Understand Though the Buddha said we can be free of suffering, and that is true. Our suffering and non-suffering are a single thing. They're completely, perfectly entwined. And so the freedom from suffering that's found in non-suffering is to go right into the suffering. And to do that is to enter a space that we know nothing of. So to take refuge, I don't know what it means to take refuge. All I know is that my desperation to not create suffering for myself and others, I am taking refuge in the Buddha. I am taking refuge in the Buddha. I am giving my life to this Dharma Sangha. And I'm using these words, but the words are not it. So I'm hoping you can feel, what's the words? The desperation, the willingness to face my own suffering within that, the acknowledgement of that, the acknowledgement of my own arrogance and lack of humility in that, the acknowledgement of a lot of karma and the unwillingness to put up with it anymore. And what does that unwillingness translate into? What does it translate into? Any ideas? Desperation doing... Desperation applied to what? 
Too many strategies. That's right. They're not working. They're not working. So what do you have to do? Something that I don't know. Of course. <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's, that's a duh moment, right? But how can you know it? Meaning, how can you enter it? You have the means to enter it. So that's a given. How? So if there was a sniper out there pointing a rifle at you, and you could just see it at the edge of your vision, how would you be? I would immediately act. You'd be looking, scanning, just completely present for that. Like my cat chasing a butterfly or a mouse. All in. All in. That's part of what it means to take refuge. And so it may be helpful to ask yourself, are you all in in this situation? I don't mean in a general situation. I'm all in or I'm not all in. That's nonsense. I mean, in this situation, are you all in? And if so, what does that mean to what you do, say, think, attend to? And also with the kinds of things that you're struggling with, what I said before about energy is really crucial because we sometimes can't recognize the, the pattern within our patterns. But subtly, we can feel the energy. That's a practice. And a lot, there are formal practices and informal practices that do this. So you have to go where no person has gone before. That's original with me. <laughs> Not. <laughs> you have to do that. May your life go well. I'm going to come up with a personal um, experience that has taken me deeply, and I've seen some way through it, but not all the way through it. I have a guide in another part of my life, and he gives me advice, and when that advice really bothers me and I build up walls, I know she's right, and I try to get rid of them. But sometimes her, her opinion or her advice can be very hurtful. The part that really, really hurt me, he said that I come here to run away. And that able to hook it in in a resolve that just to practice deeper and I started connecting to Mahajapati and I feel very supported here. The fear is when I go out there in the world and I have to talk to her again it's not that I fear her misunderstanding it's that there's no way I can explain it to her. That is okay too but I'm going to destabilize her and I'm going to destabilize myself. And to see her suffer and to see myself suffering at the same time, it's just, yeah. I don't know what to do with that. Well, first, let's acknowledge something. So this is just my experience. In every misstatement and every lie that I've encountered about me, there's always a grain of truth. There's always a place in there that I can find that that's true, even if 99.9% is the other person's stuff. So that's my responsibility. That one-tenth of one percent, or maybe it's 99 percent, you know, is mine. That's my job to take care of. And it will help you in your relationship with her to acknowledge that. Now, her stuff is her stuff. Her reference point is her reference point. And that needs to be deeply respected. So if you will acknowledge what's yours, in her statement, because I'll bet you it's there. My experience is it's always there. In any relationship, there's some conflict. There's two parties. And the way I understand that is that I need to take care of mine, not the other person's. That's theirs. That's their practice. And this has led to a very happy marriage, I have to say. (laughs) Um, So... That's what I'd suggest, that you acknowledge her, acknowledge what she says, and say also that at the same time of acknowledging that, what it does for you. May I go well? Um, I think sometimes I think um, of practice as 
not as learning from my mistakes, <laughs> um, which is hard for a couple of reasons. I have to know that I'm making a mistake. I have to be willing to see that I'm making a mistake. Uh, uh. And I have to be willing to not make the same mistake over and over and over again. Um, and that's practice. <laughs> so you've summed it up perfectly. I mean, you heard uh, Shugen Roshi and Hojin, I think, said it also, one continuous mistake. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I really feel that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... <laughs> What's the problem? <laughs> well, all those things that make it hard. I definitely struggle with uh, not really being willing to stop making the same mistake. Maybe something different will happen this time. Okay. So my recommendation is you keep doing that. <laughs> and what will happen? Probably the same thing. <laughs> but at some point, what will happen? I mean, I'm leading you here, but... Uh, I won't anymore. I trust that. You know, and that's, I'm not arguing you should keep making the same mistake, you know, until (laughs) you run out of life or energy or, you know, but study the process. Mm -hmm. Study it with awareness so that the place that you stick, this is true for all of us. I mean, this is a key. We're we're going to stick. We're going to find the edge of our, um, where we say no. And I I think we're all good in our own way of saying no. And so that's the invitation to practice. I mean, it doesn't need to be practice when we say yes. You know, it's yes. Holds everything. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so this is it. And in one way, it's fine. In another way, study also the result of what happens when you say no. Because that, I hope will inspire you. I mean, the suffering yours and others will inspire you to maybe consider what you considered impossible before. Okay? Mm-hmm. May your life go well. Thank you um, I'm becoming more and more familiar with the suffering that I create for myself that's very fear-based um, and with the truth that 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 suffering is maybe created as self-suffering, but it sure as hell spills out on everybody else. See that? Um, But it gets slippery often for me where uh, the suffering that I'm experiencing can at first feel as if it's suffering that is being done to me rather than Mm -hmm. what I eventually see is self-generated. Mm-hmm. How can I, um, well, how can I not spend so much time believing that it's coming from somewhere else? How can I see that yeah. sooner? Well, you know, in a way, there's a truth that it comes from somewhere else. I mean, there's, there's an aspect of life and suffering that's imposed on us. I mean, generational suffering, so to speak, and many other kinds of suffering that, you know, sometimes we don't concentrate on or speak of, but is an undercurrent. So, um, uh, I'm not answering your question yet, but I just want to acknowledge the whole field, so to speak. Uh, And sometimes uh, we can feel suffering that we haven't directly generated, but is impacting us. Mm -hmm. And I want to acknowledge that, because I think that's really important, and it kind of plays into some of the things we're not talking about today. Um, it plays into where some of my own fear-based... Right, exactly. Exactly, which is why I'm bringing it up. So to respect that, that it's not an all-or-nothing thing. There's subtleties here. But what is your responsibility? So you, you have laid out your experience of it. And, you know, the, the question is... You know, how important is it to you, and I I don't like this language, but it's what I got right now, um, to to see it as early as possible? I don't want to create suffering. I want to alleviate suffering. Okay. So important. Yeah. So you have to keep the question of 
you have to hold the question of the possibility that I'm creating suffering as an open question at any time without using it to poison yourself. That's crucial. Crucial. Because that just becomes a circle. Um, and, and when I say poison yourself, it's not that, at least when I create suffering for someone else, or as I understand it, it's not that it doesn't hurt. It does. And it's not that I'm not regretful. I am. And sometimes to the point of, you know, the inexpressible regret. But then I let it go. I let it go when I can let it go. And that's important. You can't let it go right away. And, you know, implicit in what you're saying, of you describing your recognition that the suffering is internal, is a process of when you can let it go. So really what I'm saying is you do the very, very best you can. And again, my checking question, as long as you're doing the best you can. And, and that's what I ask myself. And often when I ask myself that, it turns out there's something else I can do, uh, either to acknowledge the, what I caused and, and to do it skillfully, not as a, a penance to myself uh, to impose on someone else. You know, sometimes the apology which I would like to make to the other person, I'm not making because it doesn't help them. So I have to find another way. That's why I have an altar. That's why I have a Buddha figure. That's why I have a Kanon figure. That's why I have Sangha to talk to sometimes. That's why I have teachers. So I use whatever I can to allow the process of recognizing my own suffering in the moment. So I've spoken this morning of energy. So to me, that's very powerful. And, you know, we can cultivate, and you've done this, a sensitivity to energies that we can now use that way. But it's painful to do this. I mean, to to open ourselves up to the pain that we are creating in that moment. It's painful when I misunderstand it. Mm-hmm. as someone else doing it to me. When I just feel it, mm-hmm. it's just information, and I yeah. can use it. But that's my experience of it, is that the, the, the pain is in the belief, the persisting, the persuading myself that it's not me. Okay. So I would suggest you put your arm over the shoulder of your Mara mm-hmm. and be very familiar with that process. And in effect, welcome it as an opportunity to see again for the 4,000th time that this is the path you've walked. You know where this path leads. You intellectually know you're going to recognize it, even though at the moment you're railing against it. And be very, very familiar with it. And I suspect to the extent that you're willing, able, and do this, things get looser. Things get more open just as they've been open to get to this point. And, you know, that's where all the incentive to address your suffering and not create other people's suffering comes to the forefront. May your life go well. Shosanshi, what feels so hard about it is how, how the process of well, dukkha causes so much. It feels so good sometimes. <laughs> it, it For a while. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess that's, you know, I came in yesterday to Dyson and I talked, I, I told you about how I feel this sense of melancholy. And it's just seeing parts of myself that my whole, my life story, what you call it, the, the, my personal narrative being ripped away is tragic. I mean, like, not in a joking way, like, after a period of yesterday, I just had to sit and cry. I felt like I was mourning a death. And, and um, tragic. And, 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 um, and yet, despite seeing through that, seeing through to the other side of it, when you give this question, you know, part of my, my personal narrative is being clever, as you often point out. And... Um, you pose this question, and and already the narrative is back, and it's, it's plotting ways for me to appear clever. You know, uh, it's so slippery. 
the person before just said, it just keeps recreating itself. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, there is a karma to that, right. but let's... I keep... I keep <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. So? So what do I do? <laughs> you want to fix it? <laughs> Obviously, that's why I'm here. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tough. Yeah. You know, in my earlier years, um, occasionally I speak of this, um, I was a pretty competitive person. All of that has dropped away. And I played as serious tennis as I could. And I was determined to win. Really determined to win. Really determined to win. And one day I realized how unhappy that made me. Because sometimes I didn't win. Sometimes I lost and I was really unhappy. When I won, I was great. I was happy. And I realized this was a zero-sum game. I'm always going to lose some of the time. And I'm always going to win some of the time. And is this ultimately satisfying? I mean, it is satisfying when I win. I mean, I had some great victories that were really satisfying. And some tragic losses. Is that what I want for my life? And the irony is when I began to play tennis without the perspective of winning, just be the ball. Be the ball. Forget about where it's going, the point. Just be the ball. I became a much, much better tennis player. But something very funny happened. I didn't want to play tennis anymore. (laughs) (laughs) The thrill was gone. The thrill of uh, victory and the agony of defeat. You know, so all that is energy. All that is cleverness. And, you know, how do I recognize your own cleverness so well? Duh. You know? It won't address your suffering. It'll just perpetuate it. And that doesn't mean I can get rid of it instantly. I can't. It's still there. I I still have to keep my eye on it. You know, the wise guy. The comment, etc. But I do the best I can with my limited equipment which turns out to be my equipment is limited, but when I take refuge, it's unlimited. Everything is offered to me as me. And so that's what this is about for me. I understand that me and my limited sense of self is who I am, but that's not who I am. It doesn't disregard that, but it's not who I am. So now how can I use this? How can I use the energy of competitive tennis or not letting someone score in a basketball court to help beings instead of to create satisfaction for me, which ultimately is not satisfaction? May you left go Shoshanshi, I, um, you said um, that the gap between reality and uh, human and anxiety and detachment is suffering. Um, We know that. Um, um, We in this hall know that. We've been studying the Dharma. We have taken refuge in the teachings. It's sort of like, you know, it's raining but we have this uh, beautiful building to shelter us. We have these teachings. I'm not so worried about all of us. We're going to uh, practice. We're going to um, investigate our suffering. And um, um, the Buddha, we have trust in the Buddha, we'll, we'll find our way. But I'm thinking about uh, all those other folks who haven't heard of mm-hmm. the Dharma, don't know how to deal with 
the pain and suffering they have every day. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know what to say. I just, um, um, uh, how, I don't know how to be, um, how to help them, how to be, I mean, it seems like there's something wrong with this picture. Um, that uh, it should be like that. And, uh... Yeah, there is something wrong with the picture. You're not buying the first noble truth. Well, yeah, life is suffering. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, well, that's one way of expressing it. I mean, there are other ways, but okay, let's work with that. Well, what I was going to say is that, yeah, I know that. But, um... Do you really know that? Well, I'm sure there's more to know about. (laughs) I mean, listen to what you're saying. Yeah. You're saying, yeah, I know that. Life is suffering. Yeah. Yeah, that's not probably original with us. No, yeah, right. Okay, so the Buddha taught that all these other people are living a life that is suffering. And that's just the way it is. And then he asked a question about that. Mm-hmm. What did he ask? He said, uh, what, is, uh, what is the way out? Or what is the cause of that suffering? Yeah, but more than that, he said, how can I help? Yeah. How can I help? Yeah. So do you remember when uh, you were Shuso? I do. And you may not remember this, but you came to me and you said, you know, I'm kind of lost and bewildered. I'm Shuso and people are coming to me and asking me for my advice. <laughs> and you said, I don't know what to tell them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what am I saying? What's the implication of what I'm saying? Um, you don't know what to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I do, and that's my problem. (laughs) I don't think that's what the point is. Help me, please. That's the point. So what am I saying? Give it back to me. When I acknowledge that I don't know and I ask um, to, uh, for the teachings, um, I am opening uh, to new possibility. So when someone comes to you and asks for your help directly yeah. and says, help me, yeah. what are they offering? Themselves. Is that a teaching? Yes. So what are you doing? Do you accept their teaching? I listen. But, okay, listening may be helpful, may not be, or may be kind of minimal. Well, yeah, I mean, then I was asking you, you know, what do I say? You want me to tell you what to say? We're in the wrong business. (laughs) (laughs) What do you say? I mean, not in the specifics of what you say, but what do you do? Out of your listening, you're listening, you're meeting them, you're yeah. meeting them. Yeah. So what do you do? You meet them. How? Wherever they are. But how? With full body and mind. With love. Yeah, that too. <laughs> hey. Did you train in the Rinzai style for a while? <laughs> All right. Probably gone as far as we can go, unless you want to go a little further. I do. <laughs> so here it is. You have everything you need. You've always had everything you need. And you're not buying it. And you're looking to dodge the responsibility for that. And so when someone asks you for help, you go, what the fuck do I know? 
And you do know. It's your heart. It's your love. Offer it. Will your life go well? I just want to uh, briefly mention something that I feel uh, is kind of left out. I mean, we've been looking at suffering, but we really haven't been looking at freedom from suffering. (laughs) And so um, uh, I would encourage people who didn't hear it the first time, and even if you did, to listen to Hojin Sensei's talk from Sashin, because there it was. And, you know, just to let out the secret in case nobody knows or you don't know, Hojin Sensei really struggles to give talks. It's painful. It's suffering for her. And so she gets up and she gives a talk and there's her heart. There's her joy. That's this practice. That's what we all have as our original nature. Manifesting as our original nature. And You know, we have to be careful with this practice, and I'm speaking for myself, that it doesn't become grim, just doesn't become about suffering, just doesn't become about, you know, myself. How do I address my suffering in the name of my suffering? And so there has to be a a, a clear balance there, and it can be tricky because the Buddha's original teaching was in a specific time and place, and that's kind of where he concentrated and if it was a different time and place, he would have taught him with a different emphasis. Same teaching. So our responsibility is to address our suffering. Our hope is to address our suffering. And really share it. That, and share it means first, we ad- does it not mean we address our suffering and then share it? It means in the, from now, when we investigate our suffering... We share that. That's, that's where the joy comes from. from. That's where sangha enters. That's where dharma actually enters as, as something real and alive. And um, so there is real joy in this practice. Even amidst the suffering, there's a joy. And sometimes it takes a while to, to encounter that within yourself. But it's there. And so to appreciate that, to appreciate yourself for that quality, and even if that quality is invisible right now, you'll see it in other aspects of the Sangha and can move towards that light. May your life go well. Thanks for listening. You can find more Dharma Talks, interviews, and events at zmm.org media. While online, please check out the Jizo Project, our multifaceted initiative to make Zen Mountain Monastery more accessible and welcoming to all. Learn about the new Jizo House building and accessibility enhancements to existing facilities that are just two aspects to this exciting endeavor. Find out more and see how you can get involved at zmm.org slash Jizo Project. That's J-I-Z-O-P-R-O-J-E-C-T.